Hello. It's good to be back. I'm Dylan Haskins. And I'm Lisa Hannigan. Thank you for downloading the podcast. It's a new year and we're back to chat about some choice cultural cuts from around the world and especially these islands. For this show, we've been reading the second novel by last year's breakthrough Irish writer Donal Ryan, The Thing About December. We also went to see the Coen Brothers' new film Inside Lewin Davis, which does what it promises and takes us inside the world of a struggling folk musician in 1960s Greenwich Village in New York. And for the first time on Soundings, we went to the National Theatre in London to see Sam Mendes' production of William Shakespeare's King Lear. This is Soundings. Soundings, oh, soundings on your computer or your phone. You could actually get a job out of it at this right now. <laughs> You've come on a lot. Thank you. Wow. It's almost like I'm a professional. If you haven't seen Inside Lewin Davis, yeah, that was uh, Lisa's <laughs> excellent variation on Hang Me, Oh, Hang Me, one of the, the main tunes in it. Good job. <laughs> oh. Um, we went to see uh, King Lear last night, uh, and so it's fresh, fresh on our minds. On the way back, I was on the bus and I was coming through just past Bank, and there was a restaurant. There was a window, and I looked in and I could see all these lads in shirts, like like good shirts and braces and things. And there was some girls in there too, but it was mainly lads all bopping around doing, doing little shoulder pop dancing. And I was like, oh, that looks like a kind of a nice thing. And I couldn't hear the music. It was just lads bopping. And then I looked down and I saw Jamie's Italian on the, the thing. And then I looked up again because I saw a lad in the middle of them all like shouting over people asking what drinks they wanted or whatever. And I was like, that's Jamie Oliver. Shoulder popping. Shoulder popping in Jamie's Italian. Just as I was on the top deck of a bus passing by going, hmm. <laughs> All right, okay. I wasn't like standing outside the window looking in or anything. It's a shame that the people at home can't see your version of Jamie Oliver. Of the bopping. It's pretty pretty funny. That's what it looked like. It was just a load of lads. Just, you know, that kind of alternating shoulder pop. Very nice. Yeah, anyway. I thought that that happened last night. The things that happen in this city. I had no no celebrity sightings on my way. None. You need to take the... In both buses that I got. Okay, well, let's get on what we were supposed to be talking about, shall we? Um... Mother always said January is a lovely month. Everything starts over again in the new year. The bit of frost kills any lingering badness. That's the thing about January. It makes the world fresh. That's what Mother used to say anyway, back when she used to have a lot more to say for herself. That's not me. That's the words that begin Don Ryan's second novel, The Thing About December, which is set over a year in the life of Johnsy Cunliffe. Johnsy's a young man in his early 20s living with his mother on a farm just outside a small town in Tipperary, right as the Celtic tiger rears its head and begins to change everything. The story is set in the same town as his first novel, The Spinning Heart, which took Ryan to critical acclaim, including being longlisted for the Man Booker Prize last year and winning both the Irish Book of the Year and the Guardian First Book Award. It'd be misleading, though, to suggest that everything starts to go wrong for Johnsy after that, because really it was never very right in the first place, was it? Oh, the first few chapters of this book, it's sort of d- d- divided up into the months. And the first few months of the year um, are really some of the most harrowing um, things I've ever read. I really found it hard going initially um, and was so moved by, by it. You know, I actually was moved to tears several times reading reading this book, which I don't think has ever happened to me in my life. The poor man. You do have to kind of go at the book in, in, in quick burst and 
kind of get over it in a few days because if you were just to take it, say, chapter at a time, you would probably be like, oh God, I don't want to go back to that depressing thing for the first few chapters. But once you get over that, you're kind of in the depths of the misery of this man's life and the loneliness of his life that you you kind of want to follow it through and hoping for something good to happen. And you really feel for him. You know, he's a really beautiful character and and his inner life is really beautifully drawn by Donald Ryan. And, And so, you know, it's very compelling. It's just... It's. I was left so brokenhearted by it. Um, it's sort of a. It's a sort of a tragedy of everyday life, isn't it? It's. This could be. This is probably loads of people inside their heads. Maybe there's there's a slightly darker element, a sinister thing that happens that is in some of the characters in the Spinning Heart, and it's in Johnsy's head certainly. The kind of sense that he could he could go off the rails if 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 at at at, a, at any moment. But so maybe that's maybe a bit of the dramatic effect for the book. But the the character. The kind of the banality that he describes of every day going to work, coming back for dinner, sitting and watching Home and Away, and yeah. and just the repetition of it, and the the lack of engagement with people or anybody outside of his immediate family. The the loneliness is 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 the hardest bit I think to read about, and uh... it gets at what Ryan is really good at, I think, which is he can kind of draw. A, a picture of the the claustrophobia that can happen inside your own head or inside somebody's head. And he gets inside the heads of these characters who probably aren't very articulate. Johnsy here certainly isn't articulate. He says that, you know, he can't talk to people, he can't deal with people. Mm-hmm. And yet in his head, there's so much going on. Um, and it's a great way, I think, to give a kind of a voice to the voiceless. But this this piece about loneliness is beautiful. Loneliness covers the earth like a blanket. It flows in the stream down through the callows to the lake. It's in the muck in the yard and the briars in the haggard and the empty outbuildings are bursting with it. It runs down the walls inside of the house like tears and grows on the walls outside like a poisonous choking weed. It's in the sky and the stones and the clouds and the grass. The air is thick with it. You breathe it into your lungs and you feel it might suffocate you. It runs into hollow places like rainwater. It settles on the grass and on trees and takes their shapes and all the earth is wet with it. It has a smell like the inside of a saucepan. Scraped metal, cold and sharp. When it hits you, it feels like a wrap of a hurl across your knuckles on a frosty winter's morning in P.E. Sharp, shocking pain, but inside you so it can't be seen and no one says sorry for causing it, nor asks are you okay. No kind teacher wants to look at it and tut-tut and tell you you'll be grand, good lad. But you know, if another man stood where you're standing and looked at the same things, he wouldn't see it or feel it. He'd see that the fields are only wet with dew, and the wall's only running because the vents are blocked with dirt and grime. And it's Virginia Creeper climbing the house that people used to stop to admire for its lovely fiery colours on their passage up to the yard towards the front door. So it only exists in your head. It only occupies a tiny space. Is it even an inch squared? Probably not. How big is a feeling? Not even as big as one of them atoms the science teacher used to be on about. It's nothing and everything at the same time. The language is a very local language it's a local dialect of a certain part of Ireland particularly this is set in Tipperary where Don Ryan is from himself as well so it's a language that he understands very well but there's loads of phrases here that I wouldn't have heard being being from Dublin and even that that, that a lot of Irish people probably wouldn't have heard unless they're from that part of the world as well um, it's really beautifully but yet that beauty comes out at times as well yeah the language is so interesting it reminds me a little bit of Kevin Barry and his um and his book, The City of Bohan, where where even though it's 
it's real language. It sounds very modern. You know, it sounds it sounds like it's from another world. Another, mm-hmm. It's a whole different way of approaching a sentence. Um, <laughs> and it's really beautiful to have it written down so, um, so lyrically. There's a, there, there's, this is balance. It's not all misery. I mean, there are moments where you do laugh out loud at this. There was a couple of, because I, I, you know, late at night and people, housemates must have been wondering why I was suddenly cracking up. But he has amazing descriptions of someone who's really insecure and worried about what people will think. And he's in a, he's in a hospital at one stage for a few weeks after, um, after he, he gets a bit of a beating and, He's there's this nurse there who he hasn't seen yet because his eyes are bandaged and he just describes her as the lovely voice. And there's, a la- there's another lad in the bed beside him who's, who's called Mumbly Dave and he's he's trying to hold in his farts because he doesn't want the the nurse to, to, to know or to, to, be, to have to smell it. And he says, another thing about Mumbly Dave was he kept farting. Johnsy had a pain in his stomach most days from trying not to let it off. He had his arse cheeks clamped shut half the time. It had gotten to the stage where the farts didn't even bother trying to escape anymore. They got as far as his hole and turned back. <laughs> then they'd all be knocking around his insides and fighting with each other for space. It couldn't be good for a man having all that pressure building up inside. <laughs> we are in a we are in a, a small studio, so I regularly have that experience as as Johnsy describes there of I don't want to to, to, to stink you out of the place. <laughs> this book was actually the first one that Don O'Ryan wrote and it got rejected 47 times from different publishers and it was actually an intern at Lilliput Press who picked it up and convinced them that this was worth publishing. You can see why that might happen if, you, if you'd if you started reading say the first chapter and go oh god I can't continue with this you know if you've got a whole pile of manuscripts on the table but <laughs> it's it's, um, it's it's credit to the intern for uh, for persevering and, and seeing it through. Good heard, on her. Yeah. Because it really he does have such a, a, a fresh kind of voice it's beautiful he sort of reminds me a bit of other Irish writers you know he feels like he's taking on um, a tradition of sorts, but in a very kind of um, modern way. It's lovely. Definitely. If, and it's it's really nice to have a writer able to dissect a time that is familiar and recent to us. It's not the past, you know. So a lot of Irish writing can, can dwell so much on history, whereas this is a real recent history that I think it's, it's really useful and kind of cathartic for people to be able to read these experiences about the Celtic Tiger and some of the awful sides of it in, in a very emotional way down to the, the the experience of this one individual in, you yeah. know, in a small town. And equally, The Spinning Heart was post-boom and and focused on the crash and the effect the on people's lives. The devastation left behind. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. I really enjoyed The Spinning Heart. I read that, uh, I read that just before um, the thing about December and it's it's a really important um, book, I think, you know, to, to, to deal with that aftermath and, and how sort of shocking it was. Yeah, he's definitely the John McGarren, I think, of this, of this age, like being a rural voice, talking about rural life as well. There's, there's a lot of similarities. There's also a lot of differences as well. But um, it's very exciting when you, when you are at the start of seeing a talent like this emerge that you know is going to be one of the great Irish writers over the next the next few years. Um, the thing about December by Donald Ryan is published by the Lilliput Press and Doubleday. The woman I mentioned who discovered his book while working as an intern at Lilliput is Sarah Davis Goff. And along with her friend Lisa Cohen, they've now set up their own independent publishing company called Tramp. Their first publication is penciled in later this year and it's another debut novelist. So keep an eye on them. Their website is tramp.ie so you can get a go over and have a look at that too. Good on them. 
Yeah, it's great to see <laughs> another, any anytime you see independent publishers starting up is always a good sign too. Yeah, yeah. Well, 2014 marks the 450th anniversary of Shakespeare's birth and all over the world there's events being organised to celebrate. The week beginning the 17th of March is even called Shakespeare Week and there's lots of organisations taking part in that. We could pick a little issue with that as uh, Shakespeare yeah. Week. We totally, we've totally bagged that for St. Patrick. Yeah, well, we've bagged March for St. Patrick. It's like, <laughs> no, March is St. Patrick's festival month. <laughs> We'll, we'll go with it anyway and we thought we'd start 2014 with a trip to see what many would regard as Shakespeare's greatest work. I haven't read all his work so I couldn't say but it's definitely my favourite. It's the one that I did for my Leaving Cert exams when I was in school. Um, it's King Lear and it's just opened at the National Theatre in London and to sweeten the deal it's directed by multiple Academy Award winning director Sam Mendes. The play that you study in, in school for your last days of school is always going to be in your head, isn't it? It's like yeah. I was mouthing along words last <laughs> la, last night and going, remembering when I had oh, to, I to bash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I wasn't that person, was I? <laughs> no, you're fine. If you haven't seen Lear, I'll, I'll try and rehash what I might have wrote, wrote in my exam. What did you say? Um, the, uh, the reason I have chosen question one... <laughs> Is that yes, I do think Lear portrays uh, the character of a despot. And uh, no, what was the question actually? It was something about bestiality, was the the <laughs> thieves of beasts, which is quite a difficult question to get actually. I'm giving but you a D. I'm giving you a D. <laughs> absolutely awful. It was <laughs> seven years ago. Um, <laughs> To Lear, if you if you if you haven't read it, it's it's the story of of a king who is getting old and decides to divide his kingdom up amongst his three daughters. So it's about the loss of power. It's about being old but not being wise. Um, it's it's often said about Lear that it's one of the hardest ones to put on stage for some reasons because it's it's so complicated. There's so much going on. Mm. There's the two plots of Gloucester and his two sons, and then Lear and his three daughters as well. Um, and and those the parallels bet- between between those two parts obviously, um, but this was the best staging I've ever seen of it, and it's up there with the best productions that I've I've seen of any play. It was brilliant. It was so brilliant, and I think what Sam Mendes brought to it was a sense of the cinema to it. It was really cinematic, really widescreen, and there was a score, and there was it was so big and. I suppose when you say cinematic, it's kind of there was scenes where the way everybody was lined up on stage, it was such good use of it wasn't like it was trying to be, you know, film or trying to be cinema. It was just the effect of the, the pure drama of it. And it's so yeah. great to see a Shakespeare play, especially a play like Lear, brought to make you actually be like fully engaged in what's happening you're not just going oh I wonder how they're doing this part or how they're doing that part or yeah. you know isn't that isn't that a great line you were you were actually fully engrossed in what was happening it, the set was contemporary um, as was the, the costume it was kind of like a boardroom and people were wearing wearing suits or things like that but it wasn't like it was trying too hard to be like look how we can make this it, new you know yeah it was quite it was quite cleverly vague you know that the it was modern dress but sort of uh, it wasn't of a particular place and certainly, you know, it didn't feel like England. There's the whole, uh, the Dover bit has all these beautiful sort of reeds. I mean, it could have been in Eastern Europe, it could have been um, in South America, you know, and then they sort of, they set it up as this 
kind of dictatorship at the beginning, which I never got from reading the play so much, but I thought that was really clever. You know, it was quite quite um, a violent, um, militaristic, is that a word? Mm. Have I made up the Yeah, no, and, and at one point um, there was, they were surrounded by about 30 soldiers all dressed in like dark navy or black standing the full way around and it was very intimidating and like those spectacles you see of everybody lined up and dressed the same in yeah. a lot of footage of fascist states. Yeah, it was it was really um, powerfully done and I liked how, how they kept the place and the time and everything slightly vague. It, it made you... I think read the play in a slightly different way that it's not um it's it's not like an English king necessarily it's sort of it, it felt like slightly more current and mm. um I have to say I thought Simon Russell Beale was absolutely brilliant he's sort of small and hunched and um he limps and he's angry and constantly angry and and he speaks in these kind of bursts of growls almost yeah it's not like the kind of grand leer sometimes you get you know I am King Lear like my daughters all that stuff it's none of that it's like what are you doing kind of yeah and he starts off he doesn't start off as this massive man of power as well it's already the rot has already started Mm. before the play begins and even you know he starts in his big military uniform and then and and the play finishes him in sort of nearly in his underwear really you know in his sort of um, he is literally in his underwear and, and yeah yeah just, there were so many elements like that that I thought were really well done um, like the, and there's the sense of like dementia from there and in the torture there's a kind of a nod to waterboarding as well which is oh, was yeah. really really clever I thought to, to, to make it very yeah I mean it's pretty gruesome mm. as well the the, the I was so tempted to spoiler alert to, but to jump at you last <laughs> night. You were you did have your you did have your hand in your face during the scene where Gloucester's getting tortured. Yeah, that was really and harrowing. You, and you did kind of yelp when I he got his eyes pulled out. Well, if you're not going to yelp when someone gets their eyes pulled out, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was very gruesome. There was everyone was bleeding all over the shop. The whole theatre yelped, actually, in fairness, um, <laughs> which rarely happens, especially when you know what's going to happen. If you've if you've read that play or if you've been made to read it for school, <laughs> you know what's going to happen. But it was still shocking. It's such a yeah. violent, violent scene. And they didn't shy away from the violence at all, um, which was which no, was really there was blood squirting, like actual squirting, yeah, yeah. actual real blood. <laughs> actually, one of the characters in the Spinning Heart, Donald Ryan's first book, um, actually talks about King Lear. Um, which was, which sums sums it up pretty nicely, I think. Yeah, he says uh, he's talking about being in English class. He said I had that King Lear's number from the start. Well before the teacher started to break things down slowly for the thick lads, he was a stupid prick. He had it all and wanted more. He wanted the whole world to kiss his arse. I'd Goneril and Regan pegged for bitches too, and I knew that Cordelia was the one who really truly loved him. She wouldn't lie to him, no matter how much he wanted her to. You're a man and no more, she said. You're not perfect but I love you. Cordelia was true of heart. There aren't many Cordelias in this world. Trian is one. Who's his wife in the thing. <laughs> There's a nice little connection there which between between yeah. Donal Ryan and, and, and Lear. Um, King Lear at the National, which I th- pretty, as you gathered, we approve of very much. So it's previewing now and it runs until the end of May at least. The tickets range from £12 to £50. But it's also screening in various cinemas from the 1st of May as part of National Theatre Live can find out all the information on that from nationaltheatre.org.uk This week we went to see the Coen Brothers new film Inside Lewin Davis 
The film is set in Greenwich Village in January 1961, just as the burgeoning folk scene is taking hold and follows the couch-surfing, folk-singing and generally pretty glum Lewin Davis over the course of a few cold and difficult days. I was really looking forward to seeing this as I felt like it might have been designed just for me. It has the Coen brothers, T-Bone Burnett as music producer, folk songs, John Goodman, Greenwich Village in the early 60s, and there's even a nice cat or two. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, it's kind of dangerous to (laughs) to want something to do so much, isn't it? Especially when all of the ingredients are there. Yeah, and I really, I I was really looking forward to it. And um, and I I don't know whether that had um, a part in my slight disappointment, but I, I must admit to have to not enjoying the film as much as I thought I was going to actually yeah me neither and I, and I again I really wanted to and I was when I came out I was kind of afraid to say to you to be like <laughs> oh it wasn't really gone on that but it kind of everyone was, was sort of slightly deflated and you know we've seen lots of reviews about this and people most people really love it and say like it's one of the best Coen Brothers films that they've done but it wasn't a bad film at all. It's just that from what you'd expect from the Coen brothers, it wasn't up to up to mark by they, anyone else. It probably will, I'd probably think, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a good film. I mean, their bar is is probably one of the highest uh, bars that can be set in film, I imagine. Yeah, um, yeah it just fell a, fell a little flat for me. I think the main problem for me is that the main character, Lewin Davis, played, by, played very well by Oscar Isaac, um, I thought, is just really deeply unlikable. Um, and uh, I couldn't really get past that. Sometimes there can be entertainment in seeing a character that you absolutely hate so much. But with this, I didn't like him. I didn't really care what happened to him because he was really bitter and a really awful person and so ungrateful. But not not evil. Just like you think, oh come on, like have a bit of decency. It doesn't matter how down and out you might be <laughs> at that point. What, who wouldn't do X in this scenario, you know? And he yeah. kind of let you down all We're the time. We're talking about the cat, aren't we? We're talking, We're talking about, about the, the cat. cat. My mother always said to me, um, when I'd you know be, be meeting a nice boy or something, she would say, "You just watch when you meet a boy, how he treats his mother and how he treats animals." <laughs> good one Which is know. pretty good, pretty good advice. Um, from from Mrs. Hannigan, and and let's just say, Lou and meeting girls, pet dog, <laughs> loads. Yes, seriously, <laughs> that's lady nip right there. But um, uh, you know, let's just say that Lou and Davis fails miserably on one of those counts. We don't we don't meet his we don't meet his mother, so we don't know about that. But um, he's he's pretty disdainful of his father. He anyway. is, yeah. Um, and, and pretty ungrateful to to the few people around him who are looking out for him as well. Um, there are some really entertaining moments in the film. I didn't re- think it was bad. I didn't. Mm. Um, there's there's a scene with a, a, a long protracted kind of not scene really. It's a set, whole section of the film where he's on this road trip to Chicago, and it's kind of it's really weird. And it was one <laughs> of my favorite because it was so weird and. <laughs> Um, and they played with you a lot there, and it's a very playful film. I mean, they, the, the, there is a kind of a, a to and fro I feel between the audience and the Cumberbatches, kind of messing with people and what people expect to happen, and then what they do with it. Yeah. Um, but there's there's moments of of predictability as well, where you're like, of course that was going to happen, you know. Yeah, the, I mean that that scene or the, the trip to Chicago has one of the best lines. Um, John Goodman says, "Who plays like a really strange kind of uh, jazz musician," um, and he says to Lou and Davis, "You're a folk singer. I thought you said you were a musician." <laughs> <laughs> 
which was pretty good. I was yeah. I, when that line <laughs> happened, I kind of looked across to see if you'd uh, <laughs> if you were personally hurt by John Goodman taking a taking a pop at folk singers. <laughs> also, I liked I did like um, Kerry Mulligan in in the film. She plays this sort of um, another folk singer who is just so enraged at uh, Lewin Davis throughout the whole film and just her her fury just escalates kind of hilariously th- you know from, from beginning to end and she has another good line where she says you're like King Midas's idiot kid brother everything you touch turns to shit <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which you know is a pretty good summation of, of um, she had him pegged right you know um, but I, I really I really liked um, Carrie Mulligan in it I think Another part of a film like this, it's got to be the music and and how that um, how that works. And um, I did enjoy some of the songs in it. I really liked um, the the version of "Hang Me" that starts that starts the film. Hang me, oh hang me, I'll be dead and gone. Hang me. Oh, hang me I'll be dead and gone I wouldn't mind the hanging But the laying in the graves For long, poor boys have been All around this world There is a lot of music in this, but it varies in quality, doesn't it? Yeah, I think as Irish people were probably a little... Um, biased but there is a bit where it's obviously supposed to be the Clancy Brothers singing the old triangle and it is hard to listen to when you're an Irish person it is um, they're very shiny they're, their jumpers are far too um, pristine white pristine, iron yeah. jumpers but they're like you know they just got them out of the packet and they're all very slick and and, and uh, it's barbershop as well it's, it's a barbershop weird. version of the El Triangle which especially when a song that you, you're used to hearing Luke Kelly singing um, which has it, well, just listen. Li- here, have a listen to Lou Kelly sing the Al Triangle, and then we'll we'll play the the Punch Brothers Justin Timberlake Marcus Mumford version. Now a hungry feeling came o'er me, stealing all the mice were squealing in my prison cell. And the old triangle went jingle jangle all along the banks of the Royal Canal to begin the morning. A screw was balling. You know, who knows, maybe the Coen brothers are, are playing with the idea of authenticity, which is such a strange um, notion, particular to the folk scene. Um, you know, maybe they're sort of messing with that a bit by mm. showing how unauthentic some of the people are. But then they shouldn't talk about the Clancy's <laughs> or or make reference to the Clancy's. I don't know. A lot of the music in the in this, including... Oscar Isaac has a nice has a has a good voice, but when you hear other folk musicians singing some of those songs, there's so much more grit to it, and I don't think the film has enough grit. It's full of bitterness, which is 
often amusing the bitterness of a musician who's not making it and you see that there's a whole load of them you know that it, it barely shows you the idea that there was musicians you know Bob Dylan was about to come along and but maybe that's part of it that he is struggling but it's hard to sustain a whole film on a not brilliant if it's a music film yeah yeah <laughs> one of the funniest parts with the kind of the music thing was they go into the studio to record a track and Justin Timberlake's character is uh, kind of gets a cut with, with this, with this. He's got a massive bang of the mighty wind off him as well. It's very funny. <laughs> and they go into the studio and they're in a. It's the it's the it's the two guys and uh, Adam Driver actually from Girls plays a, a great person in this. Doing the he is doing the lines going outer space. <laughs> Here's, have a listen to that. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four. One second, please. Please, Mr. Kennedy. Up on. I want to go. Don't show me in the outer space. Oh, please, Mr. Kennedy. Uh oh. I don't want to go. Don't show me in the outer space. I sweat when they stuff me in the pressure. That was one of the funniest moments in the yeah. film, that song and the recording and, uh, and the kind of things we won't say what happens, but just around at the conversations. And, and again, throughout that whole thing, the character of Lewin Davis is so dismissive. You know, he 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 hates everybody else's music. There's not a there's not a single bit of music that someone else is playing in the film that he appreciates. I don't yeah. think that he enjoys, even to the point where he sort of heckles people in a really unpleasant way, um, and uh, you know, which didn't <laughs> which didn't help the character. What makes it all slightly um, slightly more uncomfortable is that it the the film is vaguely draws on on a, on a real person not necessarily his character not that he was such a bitter horrible person at all he, he's actually written a book but I, but but I don't know what it, don't haven't read it so I don't know what other people would say about him but a, a guy called Dave Van Ronk who's a folk musician from very who influenced a lot of these people who then went on to be very successful and he never got that same level of success but he'd even released an album inside Dave Van Ronk and lots of these songs are songs that he sung as part of his repertoire as well one of the songs which which Bob Dylan kind of said, oh, do you mind, Dave, if I go and record this? The House of the Rising Sun. Yeah, so. he'd prefer if you waited till I was going to do this in the studio. And Bob Dylan goes, oh, I've already <laughs> recorded it. And then, you know, Bob Dylan gets known for that. And think, I mean, it wasn't Dave Van Ronk's song, but then it was his sort of particular version. He was the one the being playing changes. it on the scene as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, bit of bad form on Bob Dylan's part when there's, there's you know, it's not like he didn't have other good songs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Inside Lou Davis is in cinemas in the UK and Ireland now so um, go along by all means and make up your own mind and let us know what you think our Twitter is at soundingspod at this point usually in the past we've done a, a segment which Lisa called uh, the re-education of Dylan Haskins because there's loads of films which I haven't seen and um, because I wasn't allowed to watch over 18's films until I was <laughs> over 18 um, but this year that's no excuse Let's, let's turn the wheel of turn the wheels of fortune around, and uh, we've got a new segment which we're planning. Which is, um, you're really scared of everything, like re- like lots of things that aren't very scary. Well, I wouldn't say that. I just don't. I don't like scary films or you know scary plays. Can you get a scary play? I don't. I don't like that sort of scary thing. places. Not into any of those things. No, <laughs> I don't like being scared. 
when we we suggested uh, <laughs> films for that we might do, like let's do this film on soundings, and there's all these emails come back from Lisa going, no, it's really scary. <laughs> it's like written off. So it's like okay, don't want to scare her. Well, it's time for you to turn the corner. It's a new year, and we've got a new segment which we're going to call the desensitization of Lisa Hannigan. Oh God! <laughs> so we are going to make you endure. Uh, and build up a bit of a kind of a thicker skin and a bit of a, a a wall to appreciate some of the scary things in life. I don't know why I'm saying this. I mean, I also actually hate horror films, but <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can deal with scary theatre. What if you reduce me to a shivering wreck? Well, at least we'll make some good entertainment out of it. <laughs> I'm quite nervous. My friend um, saw the trailer for Paranormal Activity um, in the cinema and she told me about it and I had nightmares about her telling me about the trailer for... <laughs> Four weeks. So, did you see on there's uh, there's there's posters around for some ghost stories play, which looks really scary. I think we should definitely look up that. Oh, uh, or scary places. The... There's caves not far from here. I had to go into caves to do a gig once in Mitchellstown Caves. Oh, you did one, right? And how was that? Nerve wracking. You sort of have to go down vertically into a hole. So, you know, it's not. I was imagining like a a kind of a a Jesus like roll the boulder away from the mouth of the cave and then you're in the cave but it's you have to sort of shimmy down a little hole into cool the underground so no I wasn't a big fan of that once I was down there it wasn't too bad but there's probably lights there and what stuff, are these caves there? you're talking these about these caves are very old they um, date from about 1200 at least but no one knows anything about them before that <laughs> they were the scene of a brutal brutal murder um, oh no but then I think Led Zeppelin also launched their record label there as well. So probably for that reason. Really? Um, but no, the murder was only in like 17th century, I think. You have a big lying face on you, I know. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell. No, well, let's, let's go and see, shall we? Okay. We'll do okay. an outing, a little soundings excursion. That's what we're going to do this year. <laughs> um, one of my favourite childish things to do is... Uh, well, one of them is making up absolute rubbish facts to people and then forgetting <laughs> to tell them that it is a rubbish fact and they go and tell people and it's a real fact, but also jumping out at people and scaring them. So <gasps> if you do see Lisa Hannigan walking down the street, <laughs> oh, no. do your very best to creep up from any... She'll get it. It's fine. It's OK if you don't know it. It's absolutely <laughs> grand. She'll know it's part of sounding, so it's I, OK. I protest. Try and scare Lisa Hannigan. Hashtag scare Lisa. That's... <laughs> oh, my God. If someone says to you, you know, it's for soundings after you've gotten scared, then you'll be like, OK, grand. So. After I've jumped into the path of an oncoming bus. <laughs> I'm not sure about this. All right, I'll, I'll submit myself to your desensitisation. So there you go. You, you <laughs> it's, Please be kind. Well, we've that look to look forward to anyway. Um, that was fun. Good to be back. Very good to be back. Thank yes. you for listening. If you're enjoying the series, as always, please do tell some more people about it and spread the word. Um, there's been lots more people listening over the past few weeks, which has been great, but we want to keep want to keep growing it so we can keep doing this as well. The link to listen to the show on iTunes is bit.ly forward slash soundings pod and that takes you through to subscribe. Um, if you'd like to contact us as well, our Twitter handle is at soundings pod. If there's anything you want to to say to us about anything we've talked about today or recommend something for us to do um, anywhere in, in, in the UK or Ireland, really, that, that's, that's worth going to. Do let us know. Other than that, we shall see you again later in the month. Bye-bye. Bye and Happy New Year.